We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, so uh, you can open up your Bible there, and it always helps to have the Bible in your hand and read along. We we will have the words on the screen, but we're we're in the series on Ecclesiastes, book of Ecclesiastes. It's uh, almost halfway through the Bible, you know, it's almost a perfect halfway point. And we're in chapter 2 now, we've been journeying through this book with the author who who we're calling the Quester as he explores meaning in life and seeks to determine what under the sun has any meaning at all. And he has gone through uh, pleasure and he's looked at uh, the various activities that human beings undertake and in each case he's trying to determine what's meaningful and in each case he's coming up pretty blank and deciding that things are actually pretty meaningless. So this morning he turns to consider wisdom and we'll read from chapter 2 verse 12 through down to verse 16. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom, and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads, while fools walk in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless, for the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. I want you to think for a minute about somebody you know who you would consider to be wise can't be yourself, (laughs) but someone, maybe someone in your life, uh, maybe someone who's been an influence on you, maybe someone that you know of, someone that embodies wisdom, someone wise, and I want you to think, what is it about that person that makes them wise? What is it about them? Is it it that they have that ability to know the right way? You know, when when you're in the middle of a complex situation, uh, some people just have an ability to see clearly this is the path, this is the best way. It's like they can see the consequences, they can see how every contingency is going to play out. Uh, maybe it's someone that just has the ability to understand really difficult situations and get to the heart of the issue. You know, when you think this is the issue over here or this is the problem, that someone can just say a word and it's like, oh, it just reframes the whole discussion, the whole conversation. They can just see things in ways that people can't see. They can take complex issues and just see them with simplicity. Uh, Maybe for you, this person has been someone that has just spoken the right word. Do you know what I mean? That they've spoken just the right thing to you at just the right time. Maybe, Maybe it's been a firm word that's just been needed at that moment. Maybe it's been a soft and tender word that's just been perfect. They just know what to say. They know exactly how to say it. What is it about that person that makes them wise? It's quite hard to pin down, isn't it? it, Wisdom's quite a slippery concept. We know it and we see it. We intuitively understand it and have an instinct for it, but it's very hard to define. It's hard to sort of pin down because wisdom often involves acting one way in one set of circumstances, but in another set of circumstances, acting completely differently. It's very hard to reduce it to any kind of formula. It's so fluid. It's so organic. We know it when we see it, but we have a hard time understanding what is it? What does it mean to be wise? What is the essence of wisdom? And that's an important question 
in Ecclesiastes. This whole theme of wisdom is very central. It keeps coming back in Ecclesiastes time and time again, partly because Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book. It's part of the wisdom literature in the Bible. It is a book of wisdom, and the quester or the teacher is a wisdom teacher. He's a sage within Israel. But the paradox of the book is that you have this piece of wisdom literature, and yet what the quester is doing in this passage is he's putting wisdom itself on trial. He's putting wisdom in the dock, so to speak, and he's asking questions about the very legitimacy of wisdom itself, calling into question whether it even matters, whether there's any value in it, whether there's any meaning in it at all. This would be like... Let's say you you work in marketing or advertising. Let's say you lecture in marketing or advertising. This would be like you writing a textbook about advertising that calls into question the very validity of advertising as an industry and enterprise. This would be like you're kind of giving up your own job security when you do this sort of thing. It's like writing a textbook that undermines the very thing that you are teaching. This would be like me writing a book about preaching that calls into question whether there's any value in preaching at all. And you know, if I was going to do that, right, I'd be ready with 10 reasons why preaching was really important. But that's not what he does. He writes this book of wisdom, and part of what he's doing along the way is calling into question the very legitimacy of wisdom itself and asking, does it even work? Does it even mean anything? Does it even get you anywhere? And his conclusion is, becoming pretty familiar by now, meaningless. It's hebel. It's meaningless. Wisdom is ultimate conclusion. It is utterly meaningless. And to see why he reaches this conclusion, to see why he he ends up saying wisdom is utterly meaningless, you need to understand something about how wisdom was understood in the ancient world, how it was understood within Israel. We often think that wisdom is, is kind of just knowing the right thing to do. You know, knowing how to play it in a particular situation, situation, knowing the right word, knowing the right uh, decision, knowing that it's kind of like a bunch of fortune cookies, you know, is how we see wisdom. But wisdom in the Hebrew mind was very different. Wisdom was a very holistic thing. Wisdom was at its heart about being human. It was this broad sweeping pursuit of true humanness, becoming truly human. And, and that was a relational idea. It meant living well in relationship with God, in relationship with self, and in relationship with others, and thereby recovering our true humanity. And you see this. You see this in a book like Proverbs, the key wisdom book in the Old Testament. You see these three dimensions, living well before God, living well self, living well before others. You see living well, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Clearly there's a God dimension to wisdom in the biblical tradition. The fear of God is the whole starting point. The reverence of God, that, that's, the, that's the center around wisdom. And then a good relationship with self. This is my character. What does it mean to have a good relationship with self? It's who I am when no one's looking. It's a healthy work ethic. It's purity of, of mind and body. It's humility. It's my own personal character before God. And then wisdom is who I am in relationship with others. Honesty. Integrity, loyalty, kindness, all of these things, they all come together to make up what wisdom is so that the whole picture, when you read Proverbs, don't just see it as this list of little fortune cookies. It is ultimately saying to us, this is what it means to be human. 
It is living well before God, before self, and before others. So the opposite of wisdom then is what? Folly. Because the fool, when you, when you and I think of fool, we just think of someone, you know, we sort of think, oh, they're a bit of an idiot. But a fool in the Bible was somebody who did not account for God in their life. That's why Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. That's the essence of foolishness in the Scriptures. You ignore or marginalize God, and thereby you deny your own humanity, because wisdom is about becoming human. The fool is the one who actually becomes less than human, because he doesn't center his or her life around God. Therefore, they're not living in healthy relationship with themselves, and they're not able to live in healthy relationships with others because the vertical dimension is missing. So wisdom and folly go together in the Scriptures. They're about becoming human, that's wisdom, and folly becoming less than human by ignoring God and that dimension of our lives. Now, you come back to Ecclesiastes 2 with that in mind. And what you find is that in this passage, the, uh, the quester bumps up against his old enemy, his old nemesis, death. And this is a huge problem for the quester right through Ecclesiastes. The issue of death, it just seems to cancel everything out. It just seems to nullify everything, and it's the same with wisdom. If wisdom's goal is to make us truly human, if wisdom's goal is to get us to that point where we're living well before God and self and others, the frustration here is that death comes along and cancels all of that out. You may have got a long, long way towards becoming a person of wisdom. Or you may have been a foolish man or woman and ignored God in your life. But the issue for the quester is that sooner or later we're all going to die and sooner or later death is going to make fools of us all. Because wisdom can't get you finally to that goal of becoming truly human because death cancels it all out. It, can't, it might take you a few steps towards it in this life, but it can't quite reach that goal. It can't quite renew the image of God in you. It can't quite get you to becoming truly human. We can't reach that final stage because death just comes, wipes it all out, and it really just equalizes the wise and the foolish person and just puts them on an equal playing field. So why bother pursuing wisdom? is the argument of the question. Why then, why even bother? Wisdom ultimately is meaningless. It can't get you towards your goal because of death. Now, hopefully by now in the series you're becoming a bit more familiar with the way that we're going to interpret Ecclesiastes. The way that we move from what the quester is saying, from Ecclesiastes, through to the person of Jesus, through to the New Testament and how this recolors what Ecclesiastes is saying. But before we get there, let me just show you one thing. Even in the quester's own day, even in his own time, even among his own people, there were others who were seeing something that he couldn't quite see. This whole issue of wisdom and death and how it's all just coming to nothing. There were others who were seeing more than what the quester saw. Listen to this verse in Daniel. You don't have to turn there, just listen to this. Here's a picture of what's going to happen at the, end of, at the end of history, revealed to Daniel. Chapter 12, verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise, there's an interesting choice of word, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Isn't that interesting? That Daniel chooses, or God reveals to him, this particular word. That it's uh, not just those who have accepted Jesus who will 
shine like stars in the heavens, but it's those who are wise. Those who live well before God and self and others. The wise will shine like stars in the heavens. There's something beyond death. There's something beyond this life that makes wisdom meaningful. Now, flick over to Colossians chapter 1. Keep your finger in Ecclesiastes 2. Turn over to Colossians 1 for a minute. In Colossians 1.15, there's a description here of Jesus that's very important, and it brings together these ideas of wisdom and humanness. In Colossians 1.15, Paul says, The Son, talking about Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. There's two phrases there, two descriptions, the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. The image of God is about being human. It's about this idea of humanness. What does it mean to, to be human? It's to bear the image of God, to express the image of God in our lives. So the Son, Jesus, is the true image of God, and He is the firstborn over all creation. That is a wisdom reference. It might sound a little bit vague to you, but if you read Proverbs, and you hear the way Proverbs describes wisdom, in fact, wisdom in Proverbs talks Lady Wisdom, she talks. She talks about being brought forth as the first of God's works. Chapter 8, before the foundations of the earth, I was there. I helped God make the world. I was there. Wisdom in Proverbs is, is hinted at being a person. There is almost this personification of wisdom going on. And here you come through to Colossians 1. Paul says Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. What he's saying is that Jesus is the wisdom of God. It doesn't just mean that Jesus was wiser than everyone else and Jesus knew what to do when other people didn't know what to do. It means that he embodies the wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God walking around the dusty roads of Palestine. And Paul says a few verses later, in, in Jesus all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge dwell. He is the one that brings together all the wisdom of God. So he is the truly human one, the image of God, and he is the truly wise one the one who was there from the beginning, through whom all things were made. Jesus brings together humanness and wisdom because you can't have one without the other. Wisdom is to be truly human, and to be truly human is to be truly wise. And Jesus, the Son of God, brings together both of those in the one being, in his own person, true wisdom and true humanity. So whatever we say about wisdom, it has to be shaped by Jesus. We can't just stay in Ecclesiastes. We can't just stay in Proverbs. We have to now see that wisdom is shaped like Jesus. Wisdom looks like Jesus. It looks like his life. It looks like his death. It looks like his resurrection. Wisdom means being Christ-like. And when we think about being Christ-like, and we think about being wise and being like Jesus, I don't know about you, the first thing that comes to my mind is the old uh, acronym WWJD. You know WWJD, right? How many of you have the WWJD bracelet? Someone's made a lot of money off the WWJD bracelet. You know, would Jesus do that? I don't know. But these things, this was a huge phenomenon a few years ago, the WWJD craze. Everyone had these fluoro wristbands on, and, you know, of course, asking the question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? So the idea is, you know, you're going through your life and, and you're trying to make decisions, and you're trying to figure out how to react and, and respond and, and, and live. And, you, and you're supposed to ask, WWJD, what would Jesus do? What would he, what would he do here? What would he do here? And, and for most of us, when we think about being like Jesus, and we think about being wise, that's often where we, where, we, where we land. It's kind of, well, 
I want to be like Jesus, so I should emulate what Jesus does. That's, it's not a bad question. But there are some problems with WWJD. I mean, if you just think for a minute, if you were out on the Hauraki Gulf in a boat and there was a huge storm and your boat was sinking and you asked WWJD, right? Are you going to calm the storm? You know, water walk? What are you going to do? Or what if you're at a business convention and there's not, you know, the caterers are running short on lunch? <laughs> WWJD. You know, multiply some bread rolls there maybe? Feed the masses? Well, maybe, I don't know, maybe you could try that. But, but Jesus did some unique things. He was uniquely the Son of God. He had a unique calling and a unique vocation. There, there was a time when Jesus virtually disowned his own family. They came looking for him because they were worried about him. They thought he was going crazy. And he, and he basically said, my mother and brothers are the ones who do the will of God. I don't recommend you try that if your family comes to, to try and help you. You know, don't try and don't disown them. You've you got to look at the, the unique things Jesus did. Jesus took Peter aside and said, get behind me, Satan. You probably don't want to do that to your best mate either. Because you won't have any best mates. You know, you've got to be careful just importing WWJD as if the whole point is to just emulate the life of Jesus. I know I'm being a bit facetious because there's many times when it, it does work. There's many times, you know, Jesus, of course, we want to emulate that compassion and his kindness and his, his relationship with the Father. And there's, there's, there is good stuff there. I think it's the starting point, but I don't think WWJD is, is really the whole package. Because, partly because if you come back to Ecclesiastes 2, WWJD doesn't solve the problem the quest ahead of death. It's all very well to say wisdom is, 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 is following Jesus and what would Jesus do, but the quester would say, yeah, well, that's fine, but death is still going to cancel it all out. Death is eventually just going to make fools of us all. So you have to go beyond WWJD. You have to go beyond Jesus, just Jesus' earthly life. And it's interesting in the New Testament, there's very little emphasis on following Jesus as a moral example. There's very little emphasis on that. The gospel writers don't really present Jesus as this example that we should be following. And Paul virtually never refers to the life of Jesus as, as sort of an example. There's only one part of Jesus' life that's given to us as an example to follow. You know what it is? His death. It's interesting, isn't it? His suffering and death. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. We're, we're to follow Jesus in his passion and in his death, but not... The example of Jesus' life is not the primary thing. We need to keep pushing the story forward. What did Jesus ultimately do? He died in order to open up an entirely new way of life for us. He died in order to open up a whole new future for us. He died, and, and Revelation said, now he's the one who, who holds the, the keys to death, holds the keys to death in Hades. And that means he's got dominion over those realms. And Jesus has secured a future for you and I where one day, if we're united to Christ, one day we're going to be finally human. One day we will be conformed to the image of Jesus. One day you will be human at last. And you will finally know what it is to, to have true wisdom, living well before God and self and others. We'll be conformed to the image of Jesus. And I think it's critical to get that picture in your mind of who you're going to be on that day who God's going to make you when Jesus returns. Because I would argue that wisdom in the present is anticipating who you're going to be when Christ comes in glory and conforms you to his image. 
Think about what he's going to do to your character. Think about what he's going to do to your relationship with God, how it's just going to be blown wide open in a way you and I can't even fathom. We'll, have health, we'll be healthy and whole people. We'll be truly human. I think we need to get that destination right, that end goal of wisdom, that person God's going to make you one day when he conforms you to the image of Christ. And wisdom in the present is becoming who you'll one day be. It's becoming who God will one day make you. So wisdom then is actually destination-oriented. Problem with WWJD, it's always looking back. It's always looking back to Jesus' life 2,000 years ago. Well, that's a good start, but I think real wisdom looks forward. It looks forward to who God's going to make you, and then it says, what steps would I take in view of that destination? It's like asking the question, if you're sitting at the traffic lights, should you go left or right? Well, the obvious question is, where do you want to go? You know, if, if, you've got to have a destination in mind in order to know whether a particular decision is wise or foolish. We've got to have that destination clear. We've got to know where we're going. We've got to be imaginative and picture what our character will be like, who we will be in the new creation. And wisdom is taking steps that square with that. So I've got another little acronym. I'll see if I can make my millions off this. Instead of WWJD, what if we ask WAIB, who am I becoming? I'm not saying it's better or worse than WWJD, but maybe that question just pushes our minds forward a bit rather than back a bit. Maybe wisdom is asking, who am I becoming? I'll give you a simple example. I know I'm going on all the time at the moment about this house that Anna and I have bought, but it's the source of a few good sermon illustrations. <laughs> we, 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 we heard the other day that uh, through, through the vendor's lawyer that the current owner's uh, may have needed to request a delay in the settlement date. We'd already agreed on the settlement date. We've got a contract, it's all signed, it's done, legally. But they were having some trouble relocating and getting things right at their end for moving into the place they're moving into. And we'd heard that they may need to try, or they were asking, if they could possibly delay the settlement. And my initial response to this was, well, that's a huge inconvenience. I mean, we're, we're trying to get some renovations going. There's a whole timetable of how we want that to work. We've signed a contract for starters. We've agreed on the settlement date. I've lined the finance up with the bank to kick in on this day, so really we're not obliged to, to budge on that. It's, they're just shoving their inconvenience onto us. And as is so often the way in life, my wife was the voice of wisdom <laughs> in, <laughs> in that moment. And, and she didn't use the word wisdom, but she asked something along the lines of, what would be a biblical response? You know, just subtly, chipping away, you know. And I didn't want to hear that. I cringe. You know how this is. You don't, don't want to. Don't tell me that. But she, she asked, and just you know, in question form, open question, what would be a gracious response? What would be a biblical response? And I, th I didn't think about it at the time, but as I think about that question, who am I becoming? It's quite powerful in a moment like that. Not just WWJD, that, that helps to some extent, but who am I becoming? Who am I becoming if I make a decision purely standing on my legal entitlements and rights? And of course I'm entitled to stand on those, but who is that making me? Is that just making me a person of selfishness, self-centeredness, my rights? Is there a decision I could make there that would start to form a character of selflessness, that would start to make me more human? Now, as it turned out, they didn't need to request the delay in settlement, so I'm off the hook. <laughs> but it was a good case study for me in just thinking about who am I becoming? Well, I don't know what it is you're, you're, you're wrestling with. What, what intersections are you sitting at? What are the decisions? What are the complexities? What are the problems at work, at home? Those struggles, you can't see things that clearly. What if you started asking that question? Who am I becoming here? 
And if you made 50 more decisions the same way, what would that do to your character? And then how does that square with who God's going to make you when Jesus returns? If it's heading towards that destination, and if it's right in line with being conformed to the image of Jesus when we stand before him, I would say that's wise. And if it's not, if it's taking you somewhere else, away from that destination, then that could be your definition of folly or foolishness. So there's a simple question to ask. And you know, sometimes you'll get it wrong. But as you grow, and as you, 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 you listen well to the voice of the Spirit, we will, we will grow in wisdom over the course of our lives and learn to read situations, learn to read people, learn to read the times well, and continually ask, who am I becoming? In uh, Topeka, Kansas, there's a church called Westboro Baptist Church. It's about 70 people, this church, mainly the extended family of one guy. And this church, the members of this church, they will fly around the United States to wherever there is a funeral of a military soldier, and they'll pick it outside that funeral. And they'll hold up signs like, God hates fags, and thank God for 9-11, and God is angry at you, and God hates the world. They're actual placards. You can see them online. I saw a documentary this week, um, a guy, Lewis Thoreau, interviewing some members of this church. And, and their logic is that because, basically, in their mind, because of homosexuality in America, God's condemned America, he's judging America through, all, through other nations, and anyone who tries to stand against that is just going to incur the wrath of God. So they, they would say, you shouldn't serve in the military because God's just going to judge you and bring his wrath against you. And, and, and the reporter in this documentary was talking to one particular guy. He was holding a sign, holding a placard, which read, Fags Doom Nations. And he said to this guy, what do you think, where do you think Jesus would be in all of this? What do you think he'd be doing? And the guy said, he'd be holding the sign. He'd be holding the sign. And it just depresses you, doesn't it? How, how can a person become so derailed from the gospel that they think that's what Jesus would be doing? How can a person get so tangled up in a warped way of thinking? They think that's where Jesus would be in the middle of this. What if you ask that question, who am I becoming in that situation of that group of people? Who, who are they becoming? People, people of anger, people of hate, people of cruelty. And I'd say that's completely out of step with who God's going to make us one day when Jesus returns. Truly human, loving God, loving self, loving others, loving the world. And so I think they betray the fact that what they're doing is the epitome of folly and foolishness. And I know you're not going to go out and do extreme things like that, but let's avoid the path of folly. Wisdom does matter. The quester couldn't quite see it, but wisdom does matter. Folly does matter. Those things are important because death is not the end. Jesus is coming back, and he is going to take our lowly bodies and transform them to become like his glorious body, and he's going to transform your character as well. So get that image in your mind of who you'll be on that day, rock solid, front and center in your mind, and that's your destination for living in the present. That end goal of your character, being conformed to the image of Christ. And then let's learn to ask, in the big things and the little things, as we go through life, who am I becoming? Who is this making me to be? And how does that square with who God's going to make me to be when he finally makes me wise?
Let's pray. Father, we long for true wisdom, and it's often such an elusive thing. We often feel like we just need so much more of it than we have. But Lord, this morning we just focus ourselves on Jesus. We focus ourselves on the wisdom of Christ, and we acknowledge that your Son, Jesus, He is true wisdom. He's the one that we should be looking to. And I pray, Lord, that you would just get in our minds this morning that image of who you're making us to be and where we're heading and what the destination is, what the goal is, and being conformed to the image of Jesus. And would you guide our steps, Lord, along the way so that we can live well and live wisely and become truly human and avoid the paths of folly. I commit every person here, Lord, who's struggling with a decision this morning or in a complex situation, they need wisdom. And I pray that you would give it to them in great measure. I pray that you'd give them clarity. I pray that you would give them your mind. But I pray you'd help us to see too, wisdom is about our character, not just about knowing the right thing to do. So come and shape us to make us more like yourself. Make us truly human, that we would live well before you in, in relationship with ourselves and relationship with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz. Thank you.